And I'm going to start reading in verse number 11. And this is a, still a difficult time as we're coming into Nehemiah. Well, I'll, let me read. I'll set the context afterwards. It says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, Neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with fire. He's looking still over the destruction of Jerusalem, which at this time would have been, oh, a good, a, a good bit earlier. This is now, since the return, the captivity, 70 years, and uh, uh, we're over 100 years since the destruction of Jerusalem by the time of this writing. And, and it, it is just amazing, the destruction that the rebellion caused, that sin causes, but there's a rebuilding that takes place. So he goes out night and he's viewing this. Verse 14, he says, Then I went to the, on to the gate of the fountain, to the king's pool. There was no place for the beast that was under me to pass because of all the destruction. Then when I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went, or what I did. Neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burdened with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we, that we be no more uh, a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you and we need you. Lord, we need your help. We need your mercy and your grace. Uh, Lord, we need that realness in our life. I pray for your help this morning. Please control what I say and how I say it. Direct my words. I pray that it would feed your people that it would strengthen, that it would encourage, that it would do the work that, that you want to do in hearts. I pray, I pray this time would not be in vain, but Lord, that you would be glorified and honored. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this morning they repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we, we started in the book of Ezra. Now remember, as I mentioned last week, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Jewish Old Testament is one book. 
as, um, and it's, it's, it's one book. We talked about the return. They had been in captivity for 70 years. Matter of fact, there's a prophecy going back more than 150 years from the time they returned from Isaiah about that time would come. So the decree is made by Cyrus that those of the nation of Israel could return. Now Persia's in control. It's no longer the Babylonian Empire. It's the Persian Empire, which, again, as I talked about last week, still to this date, it was the largest in terms of mass world empire the world has ever known. 44% of the world's population was under their control at that time. And so he gave a decree out. Just amazing. This, this, the king of Persia says, those of Israel, you can return. Go back. Go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, we don't know how many were in Babylon at that time. The, esti- the estimates are up to that of a million. 700,000 to a million that would have been present. There were three returns that took place under Jerubal, uh, 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 um, Zerubbabel, excuse me, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Those combined, combined, there are only 50,000 who returned. The rest stayed. They stayed. We looked at last week a couple of reasons why they stayed. One, they were comfortable in the world. Babylon is a picture of the world. They were comfortable there. Nebuchadnezzar's philosophy was when he took captive a group and, 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 and brought them out of their own country into his land, he actually wanted to make them comfortable. His, his goal was to make them so they didn't want to leave. Seventy years had passed. There was a generation up and coming that, that the, the founding generation that went into captivity was failing to explain to their children the need for the temple, the, the, the beauty that was there. They also knew it would be great sacrifice. I mean, the journey alone, by the way they would have to take, was about 900 miles. There's no planes, there's no buses, there's no cars. It was a treacherous journey to go back. And then they knew once they got back, the work that was involved. So multitudes decided just to stay put. And it's even true in our day. There's such a minority that looks to take things, uh, 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 that walk with God, the seriousness of it, that, that looks to to make their life all about God, regardless of the cost. They want to do it, provided they can stay comfortable. But oftentimes, the Christian life, oftentimes, it involves a measure of suffering. Today's TV preachers, they like to skip that part, and they preach a lie that it's all about health, wealth, and success. That's all that God wants for you. It's simply not true. Now, when they got back, that's what I really focused on. The very first, of course, they set the altar up to deal with their sin. That's always needed. Uh, the first thing, in order to have that relationship with God, your sin has to be dealt with, and that comes through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll cover more of that at the end. Then they got on the project, the temple. The first major project they took on was rebuilding the temple. That was, that was led by Zerubbabel. He led the effort. They had hindrances come up. They had a 16-year delay from the enemies and the problems that arose. But he knew it needed to be done. And it's true in your life. You have to have the temple in your life. It represents the presence of God. It represents the closest, a genuine spirituality in your life. 
A real walk. Not something that's fake. And so they built that. The hindrances were there. After they built it, I I'm not going to go into that this morning because I want to get to the wall. But I, I still had one point left when I finished last week. And again, I'm not even going to go there. It just dealt with this. Once that, that was finished, there was another return that took place under Ezra. Ezra was the scribe, the priest. Now he comes into play. Once the temple is finished, know, know what God gave the people immediately was a man of God, a ready scribe. One who knew the Bible. One who could preach the Bible says, and give the sense of it. The Lord knew, now that they've come out, there was so much in their life that needed to change. How they had to get back to the Word of God. So Ezra comes on the scene. And you see that in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, what is it, 7, 8, 9, and 10, what Ezra's having to do. Tough things as well when you read through there. Now, as I've already mentioned, of course, the temple needs built. We need that genuine spiritual growth. That starts with building the temple in your life. That's key. That presence of God. You see, in our day, we certainly have a pseudo-spirituality coming into play. In churches and the lives of Christians... I think one of the devil's greatest avenues he is using today is substituting experience for relationship with God. I do. I mean, think of the motto of even churches today. Come experience God. And then it's some fleshly type of service. This, of course, is leading to carnality. And it's disguised in spirituality. We can do this on a very personal level as well, where your carnality is actually disguised in spirituality. Listen, you know the worship service, when we come in here, is one of the most, three times that we do it, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, is one of the most important times of the week. We meet to strengthen each other, to grow, to get fed, to have fellowship. The Bible says that, that one of the primary purposes of the, of the local New Testament church in the book of Ephesians is for the perfecting of the saints. It doesn't mean sinless. It's talking about our growth. If Satan can dilute this, he will win a great victory. We can see carnality showing up all the time in, in churches and in services whether that's through music with a fleshly pill, whether that's through the preaching with modern-day psychology filled with stories and illustrations, anything to actually substitute the Word of God, things to make you feel good and go, wow. Yet what we know is the key for our growth is actually the Word of God. Let me explain how, how this can take place. I was, I was on debutation. I was in a church not far from my hometown preaching on a Sunday morning. It was in Lodi, Ohio. And I was preaching the morning service. I'd come in. I met with a pastor the day before. And, and the church service starts. And there were what I would consider some red flags coming into that service. The music was 
all of a sudden highly questionable. It was, you see, how did you measure that? I measure if I look for it's more performance and entertainment based. Those are red flags. They are. Our church, this, this is not a production for you. It's not. That's never what it should be. This is about us coming before God. To have a genuineness to our walk, a genuineness to what it's all about. It's not about coming in here and seeing, okay, how can we entertain and please? It's about coming in again, understanding that we are sheep, that we are His sheep, that we are His children. And this is the institution that He has chosen and how He has chosen to feed us. So, the music went on and on and on. It was about, I'm trying to remember exactly, but it was about 11.50 to 11.55 when it finished and I was called up to preach. So I came up around this side here and the pastor walked by me and he whispered in my ear as I'm coming up to the pulpit. I'm not kidding. It's past 11.50, like 11.51, 11.52, something like that, when I am coming up to preach. He whispers to my ear as I'm going down, you need to be done by 12. What was needed to grow the people was not present. The Word of God. It was about the experience. We need that genuine spiritual growth in our life. See, what happens is, because people like the service and they leave, they're saying, no, that was enjoyable. I really enjoyed all the music. I really enjoyed the, how the speaker made me feel. I laughed. I cried. There is excitement, if you will, even over that worship experience. Feeling connected. And then because you're in church, the mind relates that to God. After all, I'm in church. It is building a foundation on sand. That will become so clear when the storm hits. In our text... It has been going on actually about another 70 years since the temple has been completed. Okay? Nehemiah comes on the scene with the third return. Your prophet at this time, when you're reading the Old Testament, is also Malachi. He will be the last prophet until John the Baptist. <clears throat> the temple is built. But the truth is, Jerusalem would need protected. The temple's going to need to be protected. That's what Nehemiah sees. There's going, they're going to need to rebuild the wall. 
It was there to keep the enemy out. It was there to prevent the enemy from getting a foothold inside. It had to be strong enough to withhold the tax. A flimsy wall would not work. It was not an easy tax. Every single gate there would need to be strong, protected. They have to protect the temple. If we went through the book of Nehemiah, we'll see that they had opposition immediately. The work was difficult, especially just clearing out all the destruction that was there. Discouragement hit. They had internal battles taking place outside of all the external battles that were happening. This is all going on while Nehemiah is trying to lead the project to rebuild the wall. Greed and selfishness even took over with those who were within, that were hindering the work. Some were taking advantage of others. This is all within, within the nation of Israel as they're trying to work. You had some uh, loaning money to others because they were working so hard, they were going into debt, they were loaning money, and those who were loaning the money were charging these exorbitant interest rates, capitalizing on it. This is all happening while this project's taking place. So today, what I want to focus on is building the wall. You see, you have to have that presence of God in your life, that temple, that genuine, real walk, where you're getting a foundation to your prayer life, where there's, there's a genuineness about your spiritual walk, where you have that, that, that I, I, of course, once you are converted, you are sealed by the Spirit of God as the day of redemption. I'm not dealing with that reality. That's not what I'm dealing with. We become the temple of God. That's a Bible truth. But I'm dealing with your walk with God. Making it genuine and real. You need that temple in your life. Then you have to protect it. Or it's not going to last. I think this message is very important. So what do I mean by a wall? The Lord has given us, provides us things that are there to protect us. To help us. To be a wall. To protect our walk with Him. To keep us in the will of God. And that wall are two terms that are not popular today at all. Conviction. And standards. Convictions and standards. The wall is our convictions and our standards. Listen, if you have no standards set up in your life, listen to me. You have no wall. None. If you have weak standards, then you have weak walls. If you have broken down standards, then you have broken down walls. Standards are the things or principles in our life that are there to protect us. Protect us from the enemy. To protect us from falling away. To help keep us in the Word of God. And they're misunderstood. They're misused today. But 
I want you to notice this first. Before the Lord had them build the wall, the temple had to go first. That's so important. I want you to think about that. The temple was built first. Then the wall. What happens is this. Some build a wall and there is no temple. They set up standards and convictions without a heart for God. That's like setting up a security system in an empty lot. It's a waste. Not only is it a waste, it's dangerous. This is someone who begins to live for the standards and convictions instead of the God of the standards and the convictions. They live for the wall. They just don't see it as the wall is protecting the temple. They live for the wall. That's dangerous. Your Christian life at times will lack joy. Your Christian life will become vain and mechanical. You'll find yourself critical all the time of others who do not match your standards and your convictions. Because you're living for the wall. It's not that your standards are are, are not wrong. They're right. The problem is the reason why you have them. When this takes place, you will lack love that is needed in your service for God. Remember, the temple comes first. Then build the wall. Don't fall in love with your standards and your convictions. Fall in love with God. Nehemiah, we'll go back to chapter 1. For time's sake, I'm not going to read it. But he was told, remember, a, a good number of years. So he's, he's grown up. The, 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 the first couple of, of returns have taken place. He is, he is still in Babylon, grown up. His parents had stayed. You know, he, he's probably not even born yet when the, when the first ones began. And now here he comes on the scene. He hears still how the walls are desolate in chapter 1. It breaks his heart. He wants to return. He wants to rebuild the wall, and he's commissioned to do just that. You see, what he saw was what the Lord hit him right on his heart was the need for a wall to be built, and it starts there. The devil loves to distract you. He loves to take things. He, he loves to distort, uh, to, so he can get to the purpose to destroy and get you to believe you don't need the wall. He doesn't want you to see it. Think, think of the multitudes who are, who are in Jerusalem. The temple is built. Yet nobody's worrying about building a wall. No one. No one was saying, all right, let's protect it. Let's protect the temple. His mind was on Jerusalem. His mind was on the temple. He realized where he was from, what his roots were, what God had done for him. He knew he had a great task ahead of him. When you begin to see the importance of that temple, of that walk with God in your life, that's where you begin to see your need for a wall. Because you want to protect that.
If, you're, if, if your thoughts are constantly just worried about this world and all that's going on, or, or, or even a measure of carnality coming in, you'll never see the need for the wall in your life. And what will happen is, as you go to set up a temple, it's going to constantly be under attack, and constantly be under attack, and constantly be under attack. Your Christian life will become that of a roller coaster. Because there's no protection. You need to put a wall up. What Nehemiah did as we read, and it's a sobering passage that we read, as he heads out to survey the damage. You know, he wasn't making a show of it. You can tell Nehemiah, there's several things I like about Nehemiah. One of these times I think I'll, I'll do maybe a couple of series of messages just on his life. It wasn't about him. He didn't come in to make a show of it, what he's going to do, and the great task that I am going to accomplish. Not at all. He heads out to survey, goes out around midnight, rode around on a horse, looking at what needed to be done. He's surveying. He gets there, he decides, all right, let me go look. What do I need to do? What is this going to involve? Christian, this is where it starts with you. The first thing you've got to do is survey. You've got to look around. Where am I weak? What walls have been broken down? What areas am I vulnerable in in my life? Where do I need to re-strengthen that wall? Examine where the breaches are, where we're weak. Be honest with yourself. Lord, try me. Examine my heart. Don't be afraid of convictions and standards. They're there to protect you. There are many times in our Christian life where we have to take a fresh look at how the walls are doing. Because over time they begin to sort of erode when you're not doing upkeep. That's easy to happen. And you begin to look and say... How did I let it get like this? You repair it. You fix it. Nehemiah had to remind those when he got back of what needed to be done. Think about this. Those who were there, they got so accustomed, familiar with the way things were, they didn't see the need. It actually took somebody from the outside to come in and say, hey, wake up. Look what needs to be done. We have to get a wall up. Sometimes it takes another person to say, listen, there's breaches. Get the wall up. Some walls, as you survey your life, might be just like what Nehemiah saw. Some partially standing, some completely destroyed. Maybe thinking in your life, you know, I used to have the standards, I used to have the convictions, but the enemy has come. 
Listen, he wants to put holes in all that. He wants to destroy it. He wants to decay it. But it's time to rebuild the walls. It's time to examine. It's time to develop a true plan to put into motion to rebuild, to protect. A time to actually have a desire for holiness and separation from the world. The things that can genuinely hurt you. You survey. Now notice what happens. Look in Nehemiah chapter 2. Chapter 2. I'm going I'm to look at two verses here real quick. Chapter 2 and chapter 4. They want to rebuild the wall. Look at verse... I, I, I finished reading at verse 18, but look at the next verse. But when Sam Ballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant of the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing you do? Will you rebel against the king? In other words, what happened immediately, immediately, was opposition. Look at chapter 4. This is opposition now from within. Verse 10. And Judas said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. There is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. This was discouragement. This was, they're looking at what needs to be done, and they're just thinking, there's just too much destruction. There's just too much damage. The load is too heavy. Discouragement set in. As soon as it hit, uh, you know, opposition from without, laughing them to scorn. I guarantee you, when you start setting up standards and convictions, multi- multitudes of those, not so much even from outside, that will come too many from within inside. The scorning will come. And discouragement can come quickly too. When you're trying to rebuild that wall, it's not a popular thing today. But if you stay focused on the temple, I've got to protect that. That's what life is all about. The Lord. It's about Him. Opposition will come. You respond, just as Nehemiah was a great example as you go through this. What he did was he brought, he brought it before the Lord. They had the opposition. He basically has them working with one hand on the wall and another hand holding the sword. <laughs> he said, no, we're getting the wall built. That's what we're going to do. He fought through the opposition. He fought through the discouragement. And I assure you, as time went on, day by day, week by week, and the people began to see restoration taking place of that wall, of the city, people were encouraged. They saw there is a way back. It can be done. One other key was found in chapter 4, in verse 6. Look what it says. So we built the wall... And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. Get this. For the people had a mind to work. There you see one of the keys is having a mind to do it. To put your heart into this. 
to decide this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get going and I'm going to do it. This is key today. Having a mind to do it. Now, in our day, there is much confusion about convictions and standards. These are the walls that are protect you. To protect your spiritual life, to protect your testimony, your walk with God, to protect the temple. Today, if you bring up the words uh, convictions and standards, you get terms tossed around like legalist. This has nothing to do with being a legalist. This is attaching nothing to salvation. Nothing. This isn't about... This isn't about anything that saves us or keeps us saved. This is about protecting our walk with God. When I entered the Air Force, guess what they had? Standards. They told me how to dress, how long my hair can be, how it would look, what would be on my body, what would not be on my body. They had standards. You want to know why? Because it was the United States military, United States Air Force. Air Force. They, wanted to, they wanted to present a professional front to the world. We represent a much greater kingdom than the United States of America. Here's how those two things work together. Standards in your life when you go to rebuild the wall are to be based upon convictions. All right? Now listen to me. Don't miss this. A conviction is something that you know is sin if it happens. Okay? Standards are there to to protect your convictions so it doesn't get to a point of sin. It doesn't necessarily mean that if the standard is broken, that's sinful. It's if the conviction is broken, it's sinful. The standards are there to protect the conviction. Let me give you an easy example so you can know. Here's a Bible principle. All right, a simple one. It makes for an easy illustration for what I'm saying. The Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. All right? So I know that's a Bible principle. I cannot have long hair. That's a conviction. It would be sin if I break that. Now, my standard for me is this. Once my hair starts to touch my ears, I cut it. Now, is it a sin if my hair touches me? It's not. It's not at all. That's not long hair. But that is a personal standard I set up to protect that conviction. It's not a sin. That's not long hair if it's going over my It's not. Not at all. The standard is in place to protect the conviction. Does that make sense? So you have to determine what are the Bible principles that if I do this, I sin. And then you have to develop standards to protect against that. Use wisdom with it. Seek the Lord on it. If there's areas that you're weak in, you strengthen it even more. Don't play with it. Don't play with it. Don't give yourself some weak standard where you know that wall could fall down easily. Protect it. Strengthen it. Your standards help you to stay true and protect you from breaking convictions. 
there's a Bible principle. Give another example. I am to be a light to this world. That's the truth. All of us who are saved, we have a responsibility. We are salt and light to this world. Based on that, I have set up standards to protect that. Whether that's in my own life, not going, not going to movie theaters to protect my testimony. I, I would not even, when, I remember back when I was starting to serve the Lord, they had these, uh, they were, uh, what were they called? It was a, a type of flavored water that was just coming out, and I liked it a lot. But I had to stop drinking them. Not that it was a sin, it never would have been a sin had I drank one at all. But at the time, especially in high school, there was these popular little alcoholic cooler things, and they looked identical. They looked identical. So I determined, I can't drink those anymore. Not because it would have been a sin. That was the standard I set up to protect my conviction of being a light to the world. Because what I didn't want to have happen, I'm the guy in the public school who's teaching a Bible class. I'm the guy who everybody saw between my freshman and sophomore year, my life changed. I didn't want to be walking down the road with one of those water things in my hand and somebody, a, a, a classmate, drive by and say, look at that. He's down in some alcohol right now. Would that have happened? I don't know. It was just something I thought, I need to protect that. Would it have been a sin if I wouldn't got one? No. It wouldn't have been. It was a standard set up to protect a conviction. If I did something that did hinder me from being a light in the world, now I've broken a Bible principle. If you see standards as hindering you or burdening you, you need a paradigm shift. You're looking at this all wrong. That's like saying the locks on your door are there hindering you. It takes you longer to get outside. They're there to protect. Do you know that the devil is, he's real, it's not fake. He says a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Put up protections. Don't be naive. You need a wall up. I think when I, was, when I was managing over at Continental back in the 90s, one of the other managers come to me one morning, and he had said, hey, I've ordered breakfast for a few of us to manage me. He goes, go and pick it up. I said, where's it at? He mentioned the business, but it also had a bar associated with it. I said, I said, I said Huey, I'm not doing that. He said, it's a bar right there. I'm, I'm not going there. He said, it's closed. I mean, he said, what, was like nine, it's nine in the morning. You have nothing to worry about. And I said, I know that part's closed right now, but I'm not going there. I said, and I told him, I said, somebody might see my car in that parking lot as I walk in and say, look at that. Look at that. Uh, that Christian who I work with, he left his car at the bar overnight. I was protecting against it. He was furious. That same guy, though, several years later, after I'm in New Guinea, I'm back on a furlough. I'm on the highway driving. That's the same manager at Continental that called me up. I didn't even recognize his voice. It's been years since I talked with him. Uh, um, my phone rings. I didn't recognize the number. I answer it. Only, only thing words said when I answered the phone after I said hello was this. He said, your boss is killing me. And I'm like, excuse me? He repeated, your boss is killing me. And the voice sounded familiar, but I wasn't placing it yet. And I, I said, I'm sorry. What are you talking about? And he said, it's Huey. I pulled off the road. Boom. He's here in Anchorage. He said, I'm in Providence, getting ready to go into surgery. He was scared. 
He wanted somebody to talk to. He put his faith in Christ before we left that conversation. No, just one of the things that led to that was having some standards and convictions protecting myself to be the light to the world. We need that. Are there times I botched it? Oh, yes. And I'd learn from those. That's where I realized, oh, I've got to strengthen that. Man, I messed that up. You strengthen it. We all have flesh. You strengthen it. There's not a one of us who doesn't fail. Not one of us. You rebuild then. You protect more. This is important. Please listen to me. Your standards will never make you spiritual. The temple does. The wall does not. So often, we think it's the wall that makes us spiritual. See, here's how that works in your mind. Because we can be so weak because we don't have a genuine spirituality. We're built upon sand. So the standards and convictions give the appearance of a spiritual life. And then your mind takes over from there. That wall can never make you spiritual. It can only protect genuine spirituality. That's all it does. Your standards don't make you spiritual. And I think we have missed this in many of our churches. Remember what I said. You build the temple. You get a genuine walk with God. Protect it. Protect it. It wasn't the wall that gave the people spirituality. It was the presence of God. There's different ones you need to decide in your life to begin to protect you. For, for instance, in the book of Hebrews, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. Do you know, we need each other. We do. We need the fellowship. We need the help. We need the encouragement. We need the preaching. We need the teaching. So we know, based on Hebrews 10, that that's a Bible conviction, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. Therefore, set up a standard to protect that. Don't wait till Sunday morning to decide if you're going or not. Determine, put a plan in place. And then when you're here, determine to listen. It's not a magic place. It's not. It's when you're here and you listen. You allow the Word of God in, into your life to be sown. You begin to grow. To be strengthened. Here's a danger we have. Listen. In this world that is getting more and more secular... You don't base convictions and standards. There's going to be another temptation. The devil knows you're determined to do this. He's going to come at different angles. All right? Listen, don't base how you draw convictions and standards to support those on current worldly trends and fads. Base it on Bible. On protecting the temple. This world is changing rapidly. 
set up those convictions and standards, protected things that break us down, the different worldliness and weak areas. Take a true examination of your life and say, Lord, what do I need to do? Build that wall. Protect yourself. The enemy is real. Listen, if we're going to have a strong, lasting, genuine spirituality about our life, we have to have the temple in place and we have to protect it. Be willing to examine yourself. Come before the Lord even today. Lord, show me where the wall's weak. Show me where I've broken it down. Show me what I need to repair, what I need to build, what I need to strengthen. And ensure that the motivation for that is simply to protect that walk with God. To protect your spiritual life. You've got to build a temple. You've got to build a wall. With heads bowed and eyes closed.